This is episode four of the Crass Young People's Podcast, and I'm your host, Christine Burton. And here with me today, I have Dr. Natalie from mm-hmm. California and Jihadi Witness from Reddit again, and Taylor Monte, our recurring cast members. So mm-hmm. go ahead and introduce yourself, guys, with a short, brief introduction. And Dr. Natalie, please uh, take it away with your introduction. Feel free to um, go agnosium. Um, so hi, I'm Dr. Natalie Feinblatt. I am a psychologist in Los Angeles, California. And uh, one of my specialties is working with recovering cult members. Um, it's what I wrote my dissertation on. I work with recovering members in my private practice. And um, I've been on a, a good number of podcasts uh, about uh, talking about this topic because it's something that there's a lot of public interest about right now. Um, but this is definitely the first time I've been on a podcast uh, run by former witnesses. And I actually just wrapped up working with a former witness in my practice. So I, I thought this was pretty good timing. Cool. Yay. So um, I'm going to interject. I'm still kind of in. So that's why mm-hmm. for the purposes of the podcast, my majority, there's nothing you really need to know besides that and then I might make some I might say something funny occasionally so and I'm Taylor um I think I've been in all all previous four episodes um repping cold weather Indiana (laughs) okay so we actually Dr. Natalie some of us have prepared written down questions for you and then some of us are just going to wing it because uh we don't know you or we didn't have time to get to know you like me and taylor (laughs) um and i'm gonna let uh jihadi go first because he has his questions prepared already so i'm just gonna let him like ask and listen and stuff like that okay all right so i guess just to get started um how do you help people or what do you like, what do you recommend for people to move past feelings of guilt and like specifically responsibility for other people's feelings? Cause that's something I feel like I'm dealing with where I feel responsible for other people, if that makes sense. Well, I think that um, oftentimes in cults or high demand groups or, you know, whatever terminology you want to use um, that kind of, uh, that kind of feeling like you're responsible for other people's feelings, other group members' feelings is, is often fostered um, because it can be a very powerful, guilt can be a very powerful tool, right, to keep people in line. And honestly, when I work with people who are um, feeling that way in regard to coming out of a group or, or trying to you know, live life outside of a group, um, I, I tend to draw on the work that I do in another area, which is codependence, um, because feeling responsible for other people's feelings um, is often a big part of people's struggle with codependency issues. Um, so part of it is typically um, working with somebody on the acknowledgement that if they were given that information in the group, that you know, if, if you're making somebody mad or sad or upset, then it is your responsibility and your fault and you have to fix the situation to kind of validate that that is uh, incorrect information and possibly has even been uh, used to manipulate them. Um, and then 
Um, I would bring in some of the, the codependency stuff around, you know, the only person that you have any control over is yourself. And how people respond to you is ultimately up to them. It's not up to you. Um, and an example, and it's, it's a little simplistic, but it can usually drive the point home, is like, you know, let's say that um, you're trying to leave uh, a cult and, uh, you know, you're this same behavior that you're exhibiting, like maybe, you know, making a final exit from the group, you know, in some of your family members who are still in the group, that will, you know, lead to them being upset, angry, ashamed, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have other family members that have also already left the group, for them, that exact same behavior will produce a totally different response. It'll be happiness, mm. relief, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, you know, how can you be responsible for other people's uh, feelings if your actions can evoke completely different responses? The same action can evoke completely different responses in different sets of people. It's really about their right. perspective not what you are or aren't doing. Um, and so working on kind of helping people process that and work it through. And, and to be honest with you, it can take a while to really get there. Well, I wanted to, I kind of wanted to ask you, I don't know how many witnesses you have um, worked with before, mm -hmm. but if it's been more than one, or even if you just wanted to talk about the last um, case in, in vague description, but what is, and even for Scientology, something like that, what is the main reason that people come to you? And, and if they are leaving, do they? what's the main reason you find that they decide to leave or what um, the catalyst that finally gets them to leave? Well, yeah, in my practice up to now, I've only ever worked with one former witness. Um, I've worked with um, probably the, the group that I've worked with the most former members of have been uh, has been Scientology. Um, probably just because I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> and there's, a, there's, you know, Scientology has a bit of a stronghold in Los Angeles. I was just telling them when I was there, I there was a street called L. Hubbard, Ron Hubbard Way. Uh -huh. Yep. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, quite, quite a bit of controversy around the naming of that street in Los Angeles, wow. but they, Scientology seems to have some sort of pull with the city of L.A. and with the LAPD that. It's kind of hard to figure out exactly where that comes from. But anyway, um, so in terms of what gets people to leave a group, um, it, it really depends on their circumstances. I mean, honestly, it's usually either, well, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of talking as I'm thinking this through, um, typically it is a... Um, kind of a snowball effect that gets people to leave. Um, it's rarely like one big event that is the cause of it. You know, over the years that somebody is involved in a group, um, they start to kind of pick up little by little instances where they start to see some hypocrisy, where they start to see some abuse or exploitation. And, you know, they, they kind of store these things in the back of their mind and the pile kind of grows over the years. And it's really just about a, a tipping point for when that pile finally gets too big for them to ignore anymore. Um, and that's when they, they, they genuinely start to consider, um, leaving the group. And, you know, it's leaving, leaving a cult is its own 
set of difficult circumstances because, you know, even if you don't have any friends or family that is in the group, um, you know, typically cults have, you know, um, created a situation in which the person is extremely dependent upon them. They don't have much of a life outside of the group. Um, and in also a lot of cases, they are financially decimated. Um, you know, they are giving or tithing or whatever you want to call it, you know, so much of their money to this group that they have no savings. They have, they don't even have the ability to, you know, pay for an apartment, a deposit on an apartment. Um, so it can be a very difficult process of leaving because just the sheer lack of resources faced makes it a, a, a steep uphill battle. Um, I think in the case of the witnesses, a lot of times, um, family is the biggest factor mm -hmm. just yeah. because of the shunning. I think that's how Scientology is too. Yes. But I, I just think that a lot of times with, with JWs, uh, as we like to call them, mm -hmm. they, they often have, it spreads like, like your, your dad will be in it and then all of a sudden his dad's in it. They like to get whole families, I feel like. Yeah. And the shunning is a very powerful technique to, to, to dissuade people from leaving. Uh, I guess that's like one of the tools, but what I was going to ask you, like kind of as a follow-up is like on the cult side of things and the shunning and the isolation is one of them, but like what, what kind of tools do you see used to kind of keep that snowball from growing? Because you would think like there would be a lot of people picking up consistencies and the inconsistency over time. So Mm -hmm. what do cults do to, I guess, melt the snowball and keep it manageable? Yeah. You know, the main thing that keeps most people in, um, despite, you know, having this kind of little back catalog of things that they've noticed that don't make sense, um, is the, is the uh, phenomenon of cognitive dissonance. Um, and, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with that term, um, but essentially cognitive dissonance is when our behavior doesn't match our value system. And that is kind of painful. Um, it's like when you do something out of character for yourself, like let's say that you consider yourself to be a generous person. Um, but somebody close to you asks for money in a situation of need and you tell them no, that creates an unpleasant feeling for you. It's like, well, if I'm a generous person, wouldn't I give these people money? So in order to avoid that discomfort, your brain will come up with all these rationalizations of like, oh, well, you knew that they weren't going to use the money for what they said anyway. Or, oh, you knew they actually had some money stashed away they weren't telling you about. So that restores mm -hmm. your sense of, I am a generous person. I just didn't give them money because of X, Y, or Z. And mm -hmm. a very similar phenomenon happens in cults, which is where you know, you come to, to consider yourself to be like, you know, a, a smart, enlightened, and if it's a spiritual cult, you know, very spiritual, you know, holier than thou almost kind of person. Um, but then you see these things about the group that make you question its ethics and morality. And then that creates cognitive dissonance for you because you're like, if I'm such a great person, you know, if I'm so devoted to this group, shouldn't this group be awesome as well? And because that's so unpleasant, the feeling that that creates, people will rationalize away mm -hmm. the things that they see the group doing, right? So it'll be like, wow. oh, well, there must have been extenuating circumstances that I wasn't aware of. And that's why that person got abused. 
um, or that's why X, Y, or Z happened. Um, so cognitive dissonance is, is powerful, um, and it, it can keep people in horrible situations for a very, very long time. Just briefly, another issue is the sunken time fallacy, um, which is this logical fallacy that, you know, the longer you've been doing something and the more resources you've spent on it, you know, it's like, I've already sunk so much into this, I might as well keep going to get the reward I was promised. When the reality is, you know, because if you, if you back out, like you've quote unquote wasted all this time and money and resource, right? Mm -hmm. When the reality is it's actually better to get out now so you don't waste more. And so um, to, to go back around and to not continue to blather about this, <laughs> um, techniques that uh, helpful use quite a bit. And, and this, this term has gained uh, prominence in popular culture due to the topic of narcissism becoming something that a lot of people think about and talk about. And so the technique is gaslighting. You know, we when... love to talk about gaslighting. Okay. <laughs> I <really laughs> gaslighting. That's yeah. been a topic before. <laughs> oh, okay, good. So you guys are familiar. So, you know, that's Mary. when something happens in the group and it's like, you know what you saw, but then the elders or other people will be like, no, 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 no. You actually didn't see what you think you saw or, you know, it didn't happen the way you thought. And because they're in charge and because you trust them, you're like, oh, gee, I guess I misunderstood that situation. Um, you're it. kind of made to feel crazy or defective for actually perceiving reality as it is. Wow. That sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to um, interject here for a quick minute because I noticed that we talked a lot of about a lot of things that were basically, um, I don't know what you called it at first, but when I thought about you describing sort of the structures and the... Um, reinforcements that are in place to sort of either keep people online or um, mechanisms to sort of drive up fear and anxiety, I thought of like, mm -hmm. oh, this is built by design or this is sort of like a mechanism. Because I find a really interesting, the other day I was talking to a friend of mine who I interviewed on this podcast, but um I was basically saying, like, you know, Watchtower has their own team of lawyers. They have their own ad campaign, like a print um, press, like agency, all that stuff. So they're very, like, well-oiled machine. And when it comes down to it also, you know, they have everything a company has, an organization. Mm -hmm. But what do you think about that? Um, I, I just want to make sure I understand the question. So... What do I think about the fact that, you know, uh, Watchtower and, you know, a lot of cults have kind of an analogous thing that they kind of have, they're, they're this, um, they're built up with all their own money and lawyers and teams of people? Not necessarily maybe in those exact words, but is it mm. telling or is there anything there to be said about that sort of organization? Sure. I mean, I... You know, I tend to agree with you that things are built that way by design, you know, um, that that even if not everybody who's involved knows what the design is, there's there's at least a few key people involved who know what the design is. And and I don't know, actually, um, maybe you guys can help me shed some light on this, because this really isn't something that came up with the, the former witness that I worked with. Um, are the witnesses and or watchtower, do they tend to be litigious? Very. 
Yes. Like, um, just to contextualize it, I guess, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the freedom of religion stuff that came out in World War One and World War Two, that was them. And they like to beat their chest about it. Yeah. Because there was a program they put out a while ago where they sent somebody to law school. And now it's if someone has a law degree, they would like to bring them in, but they don't want you, they don't necessarily want the members they have right now to go for it, if that makes sense. Um, I guess um, a little bit of a clarification that they're not like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say aggressively litigious in the sense like they're mm -hmm. actively seeking people, but right. they have no problems with it. Like, in, in contrast with Scientology, from what I've noticed and what I've heard, it seems like, oh, okay, you said this. Let's go after them. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> I think their pockets aren't quite as deep as Scientology, although they, you know, they have members all over the world, the JWs do. So, yeah. but my my biggest thing with the JWs is ever since um, being one and, and having many family members, I, I see it in almost every religion in every church that I've tried to go to, I see that same behavior and it's so hard to look past once you kind of realize the the corruption in one religion. It's really hard to not see almost every religion as a cult or every, I mean, even, even things that aren't religion, like this is a little bit um, off topic, but multi, like multi-level marketing and stuff like that. I, I all think that it's the same, it's in the same wing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's pretty much the same thing when it gets down to it. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean uh, I would I would agree with you. Watchtower actually mm -hmm. used to sell magazines and apparently they sold them up to the 90s and then I don't know what specifically changed it, but then it became free magazines. So as long as I've been alive and... Uh, yeah, it's like as long as everyone I know has been alive, it hasn't been sold, and no one really talks about the fact that they were sold door to door. Where like, hey, can you give us a donation? And then mm -hmm. I think there was even a point where the publishers were expected to get a donation from um, the householders for when they go out in the territory, and then also donate to cover the magazines when they pick them up. Interesting. How does the psychology maybe, or even just um, other people in your line of work? as well as yourself to find a cult and, and let somebody know. Cause I'm sure there's, there've been people who are like, am I in a cult? Is mm -hmm. this that, you know? Sure. Well, in the field of cultic studies, there is no one agreed upon definition or list of criteria. Um, typically what I tell people um, is that what I see the most, there are two lists and these are things that can be Googled by people who are interested because they're very easily uh, findable online. Um, generally, the two lists of criteria, pardon me, um, that people use to define a cult, um, one is written by Dr. Robert Lifton. So Lifton's eight, I think it's eight criteria. I'm blanking out right now, but it's, it's like eight to 10 criteria. Um, and the other one are, is Dr. Margaret Singer's list of criteria. Um, so I would direct people to those if they want kind of a, a longer definition. And it's important to keep in mind that when you look at those lists that um, most groups of people, spiritual or otherwise, will meet a couple of criteria off of those lists. The issue is when a group meets most or all of them, that's when the question of is this a cult starts to come into play. But for my own kind of like personal stripped down definition, typically what I say is, you know, a cult is a group 
that abuses and or exploits its members. Um, and I know that that's uh, kind of general, but um, to me, that's always the defining feature of a cult, whether it is a spiritual cult, financial cult, political cult, psychological, self-help cult. Um, if there is abuse or exploitation going on, there's a high chance that that group is uh, a cult. And, you know, I, despite, you know, my last name is Feinblatt, which I realize sounds Jewish. I was actually raised Catholic. It's a long story. We're not going to get into it. <laughs> but, um, you know, I was raised loosely Catholic and I no longer consider myself to be a member of the Catholic Church. But, you know, for all my issues with the Catholic Church, um, the Catholic Church as a, a main organization um, generally does not meet the criteria laid out by Robert Lifton or Dr. Margaret Singer. You could make the case that there has definitely been abuse in the Catholic Church, um, specifically sexual abuse of children that was systematically covered up by them. Um, however, people can come and go from the Catholic Church as they please. There's no real secrets. Like, it's not like you have to pay money to, you know, find out the, the most holy sacrament that will get you into heaven. Um, you know, people, people are not shunned from the church if they leave, you know, their, their family isn't told you can no longer associate with these people. So it doesn't meet a lot of the, the criteria that are kind of in the more detailed lists. Um, but yeah, for me, generally, if, if there's abuse or exploitation, that's when I want to start and look and see if it meets criteria on uh, doctors, uh, Lifton and Singer's lists, because it very well might. And I will post those um, two lists in the description for this podcast episode. So if anybody's interested, I'm going to actually go ahead and ask Bree's question because Bree gave us a list of three questions. She's not here right now. Um, she actually moved to Pennsylvania, I believe, to go live her life. Uh, she graduated from art school. Bree wanted to know, um, what are some good ways to cope with the mental and emotional strain that shunning places on an individual? that leaves a high control group? Mm. Well, I've, I've got a few suggestions. I mean, I think that, you know, the internet has a lot of good and bad points about it, but one of the good points of the internet is that, you know, former members of a group can come together much more easily than they were able to before the internet. So I would say number one, and this is not necessarily in any particular order, it's just as I think of them, um, number one, try to find a group online of, of former witnesses or former whatever it is group that you belong to, um, to see if you can connect with them because that, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend like connecting with former members is going to replace your family. If your family has been directed to shun you, um, it won't replace them, but it can definitely help, um, ease some of the loneliness or isolation that's created by the shunning. Um, so number one, Find a group for ex-members, either in line, online, in person, both. Um, number two, I would say, is uh, therapy, which obviously I am biased in favor of being a psychologist. <laughs> um, but right. I would say to, you know, get into therapy one way or another. Um, and I realize that a lot of former members do not have the financial resource to see a therapist, especially if they're in a big city where, you know, therapists like myself can, can charge, you know, upwards of a hundred, $200 per session. 
Um, if you can afford that, great. If you can't, I would suggest either going to like a local counseling center where, you know, uh, therapist trainees are getting their hours because you can usually see people for a lot cheaper there. Um, or, and I'm not, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not necessarily promoting this, but um, I'm also a therapist on betterhelp.com, if anybody is familiar with that. Um, and it's mm-hmm. one of many of these new kind of online therapy providers. Talkspace is another one um, where you can work with a therapist for significantly less than you would to see somebody in person. So those are options if you can't, you know, necessarily afford to see somebody in their office once a week. Um, and then number three, I would recommend um, getting in touch with the International Celtic Studies Association or ICSA. Um, because they are a great organization, um, and they have a good set of resources for former members. You know, depending on where you live, there might be a former member support group in your area. Um, at the very least, there might be one online. Um, and so I would avail yourself of those resources as well. And hopefully those things all put together would help to ease some of the pain of, you know, being isolated and shunned, uh, from the group. And again, I'm, I'm not, trying to say anything can replace your family, but it could certainly help. And it'll be a lot, you'll be a lot better off if you use those resources than if you try to go it alone. Right. Um, okay. I will say I've used Talkspace before and mm-hmm. it actually, it was great. Um, good. And it, they actually find someone in your state as at least on Talkspace, which is mm-hmm. cool. Um, mm-hmm. So they kind of at least know, you know, the general area usually yeah. where you live and, and mm-hmm the culture there so it's kind of it's a cool thing so if anybody's interested in that definitely check it out yeah so i just want to inject here because we have to close soon anyway Mm -hmm. um so thank you so much dr natalie for your time and patience (laughs) yeah yeah no problem thank you for having me on absolutely we might want you to come on our podcast again but um if you're busy we know we understand (laughs) um thank you guys so much for being here on time without me before i was able to make it don't put yourself on notice Um, like that right (laughs) just everybody i was late (laughs) it's okay (laughs) things happen and um yeah thank you so much so we'll be putting um Dr. Natalie, if you're okay with it, um, your website, I don't know if people were interested in you, you know. Oh, of course. Sure. It's uh, com. That's D-R-N-A-T-A-L-I-E. F as in Frank, E-I-N, B as in boy, L-A-T-T dot com. Or just Google Dr. Natalie Feinblatt because I think I might be the only one out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Natalie. You are very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on.